so I was surfing the internet the other day, as you do, and I got an ad for whole chicken thighs in a can. Oh, cool. And I got really excited, uh, and I went to go look it up, and it turns out it's dog food. It's for dogs <laughs> to eat. Um, I looked it up. It's got bones in it. Apparently, I don't know if they say dogs can eat the bones. I don't know if I could eat the bones. Um, but I, I'm going to hold off on buying it because the reviews were a little uh, a little mixed. Uh, say, is this rotten? Question mark. Still rated at four stars. It stinks like it's rotten. Four stars. Uh, food is rotten. But uh, my favorite ad review here on Chewy saves time in the kitchen. I use these for a potluck at work. Saved a bunch of time in the kitchen since it's already cooked. Everyone loved it. Highly recommend. Five stars. I mean, uh, chicken in a can is has been around for a long time but it's dreadful it's not like when you open the actual chicken in the can even when they do the whole thing it has like a tinny like chicken smell it smells awful i thought it was i got a whole chicken breast in the way that you would it looked like packed albacore tuna or something like that and but it smelled just dreadful tuna smells better yeah it's it's a very weird product that i believe just gets cooked in the can (laughs) yeah probably that makes sense but I could see, I mean, for how long it probably sits in the can, those bones are pretty easy to get through. Well, they uh, pressure cook them, too, so it's, it softens them. And I didn't, I always thought you weren't supposed to give a dog cooked bone in of any kind. Because they're made for dogs. It's their process, they say. Special slow cook, pressure cook process softens bones, so they're splinter-free and digestible. I believe they probably are, but I don't know about if I would pay for them. If you can't trust Evinger, who can you trust? $50 for a case of 12. That's not actually a, that good a deal. We should start the episode? <laughs> yeah. Well, before that, uh, have, you, have you ever heard of Christmas tinner? No. Wait, the whole, like, meal in the tin, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. you're with me. The the layered Christmas dinner with, you got your mashed potatoes and pudding and gravy. and Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's something. I'd mm. really love to get a Christmas tinner at some point, just to give it a try. I am not against canned foods of any kind because there's some great stuff that comes out of them. But some of these things are just straight out of like World War One canned food. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, I bought the Brock's candy corn Thanksgiving flavored where it had stuffing, turkey, green beans. Yeah, and how was that? And it couldn't be any worse. I don't think the <laughs> Christmas dinner could be any worse than those candy corns were truly awful so what are we talking this week i'm gonna say that again because i didn't say an actual human word what are we what are we talking about this week well we're gonna do our intro first welcome to episode 11 of 90 schmaltz where two guys do a belly flop on the shows we grew up watching from after school specials tgi friday and saturday morning cartoons we talk about nostalgia, bad acting, and why these shows were radical. On this podcast, this is a new portion where we actually explain what we mean by the words we say in the intro. On this podcast, we take our media topic and briefly cover the production, cast, and filming. Then we watch and talk about the top and bottom rated episodes of the series. We then share some additional fun facts and talk about maybe related merchandise and toys before we rate the series on a scale of 15. You can find us wherever you download your podcasts we have a website it is 90 schmaltz.cool and you can email us at 90 schmaltz at gmail.com 
and we would love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, I'm not trying to give away our success here, but we've literally never heard from anyone. <laughs> you could be the first. And there are people who download this sometimes. Yeah, we understand. Whether they listen to you, we don't know. What are we talking about this week? We're talking about the real adventures of Johnny Quest. Are you sure it's not the new adventures of Johnny Quest? No, we're in 1996, not 1986. Oh, okay, great. And definitely not... 1964. That's it. 64. No. That's just Johnny Quest. That's an easy one. Yeah, today we're talking about The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest. The series first aired on Cartoon Network on Monday, August 26, 1996, and ran for two seasons, or 52 episodes, until April 16, 1997. And if you think that sounds like a short amount of time for two seasons to run in, you're right, and we'll get to it. <laughs> the the show is an American animated series, which is a continuation of the Johnny Quest series. Johnny Quest itself first appeared in 1964, which is the show Johnny Quest. Um, then we get the new adventures of Johnny Quest in 1986, and this series showing up in 1996. The series itself follows the adventures of a teenage boy, Johnny, his sidekick, Haji, father, Dr. Benton Quest, bodyguard, Race Bannon, and dog, Bandit, and... For this, the 1996 version, the addition of Jesse Bannon, which is uh, Race's daughter. Yeah. The occasional addition of Jesse Bannon. Very inconsistent. Everyone else always shows up. Pretty much. I mean, there's a couple I think Race aren't doesn't show up. And yeah. I don't think Dr. Quest shows up either. I think there's a few But it's unusual. It's just the kids. You'd be you'd be surprised to find out there are episodes of the show that they, that the main cast doesn't show in, but it's we had trouble finding episodes with Jesse in it to hear her voice. So. We did, yes. The show was loosely based on the radio adventure series, Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. This radio show ran from 1933 to 1951. Hanna-Barbera wanted the show to be Jack Armstrong, and they uh, hired the creative Johnny Quest to start it, but unfortunately couldn't get the rights to the show. So then it ended up being reworked into Johnny Quest. Interesting. Do you want to do this tsunami part here? Did you move that here? Do we remember it? Do you remember it? I watched a ton of it because my dad was a big Johnny Quest fan, so we enjoyed watching it together. I and uh, and it was very easy to watch. It was easy to find, as we will discuss. Oh yeah, I mean, it definitely was easy to find. I don't remember this version as much. I remember Johnny Quest plenty, and I I'm sure that this was watched because uh, once we got in, you know, the the race voice clicks, and you know, Doctor Benton Quest kind of clicks but i remember the replays of the the 1964 johnny quest yeah that was on cartoon network that we would watch like during dinner time because i can always remember that condor in the opening thing and whatnot and the the spider walking with one eye that spider tank Yeah. yeah i remember those vividly so i think i probably remember that more than this but there the the computer animation stuff that we'll talk about that i definitely remember so i definitely watch this the place i probably watch most of it and where most people probably remember it best if you're of a certain age is it was the end show of the first toonami block that ever ran uh toonami being the cartoon network afternoon block it eventually became uh the vehicle where they 
put their anime. Uh, it's where we watch Dragon Ball Z and Gundam Wing eventually. Uh, but at the beginning, it was just Thundercats, Voltron, and a Hanna-Barbera sci-fi grab bag called Cartoon Roulette and Real Adventures of Johnny Quest. And the Cartoon Roulette was pretty much just what you'd expect, collections of shorts and whatnot. And this was the original Tsunami, where it was a uh, CG render of Moltar from Space Ghost Coast to Coast before they introduced their own uh, host made for Toonami in, like, 1998 or something like that. Oh, yeah, that's right. Tom. Yeah, uh, this show was wildly promoted. Uh, I didn't realize the degree to which they expected it to be a success. Oh, yeah, this is... Please do go on, because this is yeah, just absolutely absurd. Uh, I'm not going to go into in- intense detail the way... But the Wikipedia article has a very long section about the marketing uh, that was done on the show. But they, the short story of it is that they spent like twenty to forty million dollars on advertising for this. There's a huge sweepstakes contest where you could win a Quest World adventure in Jamaica, where you would go and solve mysteries and find treasures while your parents relaxed in the sun. And Warner Brothers employees gave you hints as to where those treasures were and took you on adventures. Sounds like a blast. Yeah, I mean, it sounded like a real rad uh, thing to win. But that's wildly expensive for a cartoon. Yeah, they really thought this was going to take off. I mean, $40 million on advertising alone, not production. I don't know how much they spent on production. Based on how the show looks, I don't. it couldn't have been cheap. Well, those first couple episodes. Yeah. So, Toonami is a show on Cartoon Network. We haven't talked about Cartoon Network yet on this show at all, I believe. No, we haven't. So, we should definitely give a brief... So this is our first Cartoon Network show, although this wasn't a Cartoon Network original like Dexter's Lab was. Dexter's Lab came, I think, just a tiny bit after this. So Cartoon Network was a cable network launched in 1992 by Turner Broadcasting System. It was their second cable network after TNT in 1988. And they bought Hanna-Barbera to make this channel, essentially, was their plan. Turner Broadcasting, I'll talk a little bit more about, but what Turner Broadcasting System did in the late 80s and early 90s, was to buy things to make a media empire out of. They bought Hanna-Barbera to make the Cartoon Network, and they bought MGM and did it in such a way that they could not afford it. So they bought it, kept the movie rights they wanted, and then sold the rest back to the guy they bought it from. With that, they were able to launch TNT, which showed a bunch of movies, and eventually Turner Classic Movies, which was their third cable network. Turner Broadcasting System was made by ted turner a rich man out of atlanta and tbs his initial network was the first station to do the superstation satellite feed thing that we talked about back in i think the seventh heaven episode and i don't know if i explained it very well in that one but essentially an atlanta based network that was not called tbs at the time but essentially was tbs would beam out on satellite the things it was showing and they would be shown in other parts of the country, essentially unchanged. This was interesting because at the time, typically you'd be watching whatever your local network, if it was an affiliate, it was rebroadcasting many of the same things, but it didn't have to necessarily do it in the same way. And so in this case, you were essentially getting a feed of another network from a different area, which was unusual for the time and would eventually become pretty standard. And once we get into cable, that becomes absolutely standard. And TBS was not the first network to use a satellite. That was actually HBO, which we talked about a little bit on the HBO series. 
but because that was a four pay add-on to cable it wasn't really available the way the tbs feed was no that tbs feed really did kind of change things quite a bit i remember watching tbs a lot and you know what thanks ted and also thanks for captain planet and the planeteers since he helped co-create that good for him so turner broadcasting systems was brown from the 70s and they started to expand in the late 80s into all this stuff making cartoon network in 1992 uh turner bought hannah Barbera in 1991 and brought in a bunch of new talent which it's a pretty stacked list uh we got gendy tartakovsky who made dexter's lab and samurai jack craig mccracken who made powerpuff girls butch hartman who made fairly odd parents and seth mcfarlane uh who made the orville and no uh, maybe some other things and there are other people in there too you mean that... like family guy yeah <laughs> That's, that's the joke I was going for. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. In 1995, they began focusing on creating shows specifically for this new network, as opposed to syndicated shows that they would sell out to other people. And Real Adventures of Johnny Quest was not necessarily only for Cartoon Network. Cartoon Network, as originally built, was primarily a vehicle for the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Uh, that's how I remember it for the most part. Like Nickelodeon showed a lot of licensed content like looney tunes and stuff like that before it filled itself out with original programming the same thing happened here and yeah there so was took a them about lot of hannah barbera on that because i can remember yeah. being up in the middle of the night or something as a kid and it was always some sort of yogi or or something like that yeah and it's because they owned it and so starting in 1994 1995 they started to develop the shows that they would begin filling out this channel with its original content because uh, this is when you start to see, I think the first, actual first original series might be Space Ghost Coast to Coast. I mean, there might be something smaller before that, but the first big hit that really started to create what Cartoon Network would become is Space Ghost Coast to Coast. That would have been in 1994. But in 94, 95, they start developing... It is, uh, the Moxie Show. I just looked it up real quick. It's Cartoon Network's first original series was the Moxie Show. And the okay. late night satirical animated talk show Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Yep. And the Space Ghost Coast to Coast people would become William Street, who created Adult Swim, which yep. is big, oh, big God. stuff for me personally. Yeah, that's... It's like, what, what would life be like without Adult Swim? High school would have felt entirely different. I would not have experienced a lot of shows. And so Hanna-Barbera began focusing on creating shows for Cartoon Network, starting with Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, and then they would go on to create Dexter's Lab, Johnny Bravo... I don't know when the Powerpuff Girls shows up, but that's that's all somewhere in here. All of those Cartoon Network shows like Dexter's Lab are Hanna-Barbera productions. Around the time that Real Adventures of Johnny Quest came out, Turner merged with Time Warner. And the Hanna-Barbera animation team started to be rolled into the offices of, time, of Warner Brothers Animation Studios. And they've essentially been subsumed into that from about 1999 on. Uh, so all those... Original Cartoon Network programs are the last Hanna-Barbera cartoons. They've brought back the Hanna-Barbera name in the, the way that you do now. Bring back your acquisition names, but like, what does it mean anymore? I don't know. Right, because, I mean, Scooby-Doo's never going away, and you might as well yeah. strap that back on there, right? Yeah, and Warner Brothers has been making Hanna-Barbera properties. They just haven't been operating under the Hanna-Barbera name. Yeah, I think that Hanna-Barbera name was phased out in, what, like early 2000s or something like that. I like 99, 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. Okay. And yeah. that's also when, uh, I don't remember which one, Hannah, Hannah or Barbara died, and the other was starting to have old age trouble. So it was really 
It would it would have probably changed anyway. Yeah, it makes sense. Do we have a VHS for this one? Um, I believe we do, but you found it this time. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it's a good looking one. Yeah, this was a cool VHS. Uh, Johnny Quest. Well, the Real Adventures of Johnny Quest. It's got Cartoon Network name on it. It is just a sharp, classic '90s cartoon looking VHS, and its cover doesn't have a lot, you know, on the back of it to read through. Just kind of tells you the the title of the. Oh, interesting. I didn't notice this detail on it uh, before that it includes uh, two world premiere, two world bonus, premiere tunes. bonus tunes. And I'm yeah. trying to read the logo on that other one. Captain Buzz. And Johnny Bravo. And Johnny Bravo. In addition to these VHSs, though, Turner Home Entertainment and Warner Home Video also re- released eight VHS tapes, two laser discs, and 26 DVD episodes. Oh, this looks familiar. The Adventures of Captain Buzz Cheaply. I do not remember that one. One of the villains is a guy who has like a really long forehead and has to put a like a little. It's like a fork with a wheel that he moves his forehead around on. Oh yeah. I I don't remember anything about this, but I remember that forehead and that wheel. I remember that too. And yeah, again, this is a there's a William Street logo uh, down at the bottom. Space Ghost people. Or, or it was called Turner Home Entertainment at the time. Yeah, but it is the logo for William Street. Yeah. Well, move on. What else could I be watching? All right, this is a fun one. Um, you'd have a lot of options because we haven't talked about uh, the insane broadcast schedule of this show I've that I've been hinting at. Jeff, you will notice that I have both a snip from 5.30 and 3 p.m. I do see that, yes. These are from the same day, and... I went with 5.30 because Cartoon Network is not in TV Guide, okay. which was interesting. I, I could not find find it anywhere. But so fortunately, uh, knowing that it was in the Toonami block and was at the end of it, I was able to find a uh, a video where Moltar told me the order that the shows went in. And I didn't have the date for that, but I have a rough date for it. So I know it was 5.30 on weekdays. So I've got, a, I think it's a Thursday here. And at 5.30, you could be watching Full House, Arthur, Blossom, Power Rangers, Zeo, Family Matters, Fresh Prince. Bill Nye. This is, a great, this is a great syndicated time slot. This is a really good... Yeah. DuckTales. DuckTales, Golden Girls. Rocco. Rocco's Modern Life, Wings. I wouldn't have been watching it at the time, but you, can, you couldn't do worse than Wings. And we got Saved by the Bell. And you see that little 5.35 next to TBS where it's playing Saved by the Bell, Jeff? Yeah. That's what's called Turner time. And it was something that they did that I now remember. I forgot all about is that they started their shows five minutes after the hour. Did they show less commercials? No, they just run it instead of their time slot being five thirty to six. It would be five thirty five to six oh five. Oh, all right. Exactly the same way. And the, the thing that's nice about that is that you would be able to, if you're watching the guide channel, you'd be able to have time for, to watch through the entire guide channel and still tune in at the beginning of TBS, whatever TBS was showing oh, without having to clip it. Okay. The idea was that it made it more competitive. I don't know when they stopped it or when they started it exactly, but, and then, so when I was looking through this a little more, now we go to this 3 PM uh, snip that I took. I noticed on TBS, it's playing Johnny quest at three Oh five. Yeah. And so, Real Adventures of Johnny Quest was shown on TBS, TNT, and Cartoon Network. And for its first year or six months, they were showing it seven days a week on all three channels. So there were 
21 different opportunities for you to watch Real Adventures of Johnny Quest in a given week at the beginning. Yeah, you could watch a lot of Johnny Quest if you wanted to. I remember this show being everywhere because it really seems like it was. I don't have a Cartoon Network schedule, unfortunately, because the TV guy doesn't have it at all. So it's hard to say. The thing I read said they were playing it 21 times a week, but I'd be shocked if they weren't showing it multiple times a day on Cartoon Network during the day or late night. I recall having the option to watch it very often and usually picking it. Well, at least you would have watched it. If it wasn't showing multiple times, you still could have done across networks. Because I think yeah. by this time, there was a decent afternoon block for the time staying home from sick from school. I can, I can remember a pretty set yeah. in stone block of shows for the afternoon. But this 3 p.m. time slot is uh, at least as good, maybe better in places. Not, not the basic channels. You got Jerry Springer, General Hospital, Antiques Roadshow. Carl Reiner was on Rosie O'Donnell. The director of uh, that movie, whose name I will know, called Summer Rental. Summer Rental, yeah. Uh, Bobby's World. Yeah, Bobby's World. Spider-Man, Deep Space Nine. Reading Rainbow. Darkwing, Darkwing Duck. Yeah. This is great. He walks the battle for Endor. Oh, man. What a classic. The 1985 movie on the Disney Channel. And uh, Shop Till You Drop, Tiny Toon Adventures. And Wild Wild West, not the Will Smith movie. No. <laughs> oh, and Beauty and the Beast. That's the uh, the Ron Perlman, Linda Hamilton one, where they live in the sewers under New York. It's kind of a soap opera. I George R. R. Martin wrote for it. Really? Yeah. I don't know if it's good, but... It's interesting, and Ron Perlman looks... He's a very handsome lion, man. Crazy. I always see this pop up sometimes. I did. I never realized that this was a television show. Yeah, a and it's free on Tubi. Well, perfect. And you know what? It, it, it runs into 1990, so we should probably talk about this. Okay, I'd love to, because I'd like to take a crack at it. Uh, the show, produced and animated by Hanna-Barbera Cartoons. Owned at the time by Turner Broadcasting Systems, as we previously discussed. Uh, the show was originally created by Doug Wildly, which, as discussed at the beginning, it, he was hired specifically by Hanna-Barbera to design and develop this show, Johnny Quest. Um, he was a comic artist and story storyboard artist um, before he did television. Well, I guess storyboarding, he would, you know, be doing television. Yeah, fair. Because uh, he also storyboarded for uh, 39 episodes of ExoSquad. All right. And then the other fun fact here for Doug is Hanna-Barbera refused a created by credit to Doug for Johnny Quest and offered a based on an idea created by credit instead. Interesting. And this is for, did he create, develop this show or the original Johnny Quest? This is So Doug Wildly is the original Johnny Quest, okay, which this I is mean, the OG. we just have to give the shout out. Um, Great. Because this is where the... Johnny yeah, Quest comes based from. on an idea created by us. Right. Um, the Real Adventures of Johnny Quest was created and pushed by Peter Lawrence. All right. Um, he had 23 writer credits, which included Thundercats. Thundercats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why did you pick supervising producer? Just Yeah, there's that, no but... real director credit on any of these. I did do a quick Google search. And like when we get down to the episodes I have, we can talk about directors that I found. But nobody... Even in the episodes, there's no director credit at the beginning. Interesting. So the supervising producer is David Littman. He is the executive producer for four episodes of the Ren and Stimpy show. And he also has producer credits on Shrek and Shrek 3, which he's probably pretty happy about. Yeah, that'd be pretty great. Wallet-wise. 
Music is by Gary Lionelli, a three-time Emmy winner. Uh, some hits were OJ Made in America, Last Days in Vietnam, and the HBO dramatic series Luck. You want to tell me about the main cast? Yeah, so I will start with Bandit, since, you know, Bandit is played by Frank Welker, and I feel like at this point we should know who he is, since he's been in a few of our series. And I've always loved to see him. He's got, as of now, because I know it's more than the last time we talked about <laughs> Okay, him, great. Yeah. He has 899 actor credits. Incredible. I think he was in 870 the last time we talked about him. I would say uh, IMDb agrees with you. When you search the show, he's the first name, because he's the only one who made it to every episode i think he did he, he played he made it to the, the most episodes. episodes because we have a cast shift halfway through which will become clear as we go yeah and uh, welker i mean if you don't know who he is he's the modern voice of scooby-doo curious george fred jones and almost any animal noise you hear in a cartoon yeah he's a man who gets paid to bark like a dog <laughs> and he's good at it he is next johnny quest quentin flynn he does 27 episodes, all of season two, and showed up as Ben Policeman, season one, episode 12. There's a lot of crossovers where people who ended up in the main cast were guests on alternate episodes. 251 actor credits for him, including 63 episodes on the Aladdin TV show, and he's the voice of Raiden from Metal Gear Solid. He is, and on the Aladdin television show, he's got 63 episodes, but he is voice. So we don't know. We don't know what he is. Okay. Right. And there's quite a few that he w w went uncredited for. Um, yeah. I did not put, there are, there was a lot of crossover in this and I probably should have put more in here, but I did not label everybody's crossover. No, you don't got to do that. Um, Cause I, I felt like that was a little much. I think that would get a little silly. Yeah. Um, JD Roth was 25 episodes. Uh, he was the season one Johnny quest. I mean, he's got 19 actor credits, but 58 producer credits. He was the creator of the Emmy-nominated reality television show Endurance, which is like a teenage survivor. Uh, and he also co-created The Biggest Loser. And because I'm a New Jersey native, so is J.D. Roth. He's from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. No, I keep I keep thinking he's the video power guy, but he's in. He hosted Fun House. You want me to do Haji? Oh, uh, no. I'm, I, was, I was really quickly looking over the Michael Benier stuff. Okay. Okay. Our first Haji is Michael Benier. Uh, 24 episodes from season one. He has 154 actor credits, including Bob from Reboot. Which I think is awesome. And he was also Corporal Takagi from Exosquad. Oh, yeah, episode. that's right. I did not have that in the notes. I remembered. I'm glad you're here. We couldn't find anything about his exact ethnicity because there's uh, this is a classic Hollywood problem of, uh, of a white man playing an Indian man. Yeah. Uh, right. The Fisher Stevens from Short Circuit problem. And, uh, but he said on playing Haji, he said that playing Haji is one of the few roles for an ethnic actor. That's not a bad guy. Uh, how many East Indian heroes have been on television? Haji's for the sensitive kids out there. He's the outsider in all of us. So, and then I'll just go ahead and do the next one because I love Rob Paulson. Rob yeah. Paulson is Haji too. He has 22 episodes. Uh, he's Pinky from Pinky in the Brain. Raphael from TMNT. Uh, Mighty Max. Arthur from Tick. And again, a white guy playing an Indian guy. But yeah, yeah. It's not a terrible pastiche. This isn't a poo. No, it's At not. Least. It's not super bad. Um, Tell Dr. me about Benton Dr. Quest. Quest. Dr. Benton C. Quest. Um, for season one, uh, he's played by George Seagal. That's 24 episodes. I mean, George is a classic actor. 129 actor credits. Um, you know, he was nominated for his Academy Award in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. 
Um, he played Pops on the Goldbergs, if we think more modern. Um, if you want to go back to a 90s sitcom, uh, he played Jack on Just Shoot Me, which is the father. Um, but, I mean, George has been around since vaudeville, basically, played the the banjo. I don't know how else to tell him. You, if you saw, If you heard his voice, you would know who he was. I don't know him, but I know the voice. The voice sounds familiar. And then we get, for season two, John DeLancey, which I'm so excited that I did not have to search high and low for a Star Trek connection. Here is the perfect Star Trek connection, because John DeLancey plays Q on Star Trek Next Generation and perfect. other series. But um, I think that's probably his most famous role at this point. Yeah, he was also he was good in Breaking Bad. Uh, race Bannon. We get three Race Bannons here, I'll just say right out, of, right out of the gate. Our first Race Bannon is Robert Patrick, who you best know as the T-1000. Uh, he's also John Doggett in the X-Files. He does a lot of things. A lot of stuff. 168 actor credits. Robert Foxworth is the next one with 14 episodes. And he's 102 actor credits. Ratcheting, is Ratchet, Ratchet, and Clank? Ratchet from the Transformers. Ratchet from the Transformers, okay. Yeah. And 155 episodes of Falcon Crest, a soap. Granville Van Dusen has six episodes, and he's also <laughs> a soap opera guy. I wonder why they pick soap opera guys for Race Bannon. It's I interesting. don't know. Uh, Foxworth was, is the best one, too. Yeah. Van Dusen was on Young and the Restless for 53 episodes and Port Charles for 102 episodes. Jesse Bannon. Um, for the season one, it was played by Jesse Douglas. She's only got four actor credits, two of which are Johnny Quest, because she was Jesse in the video game. Yeah. And then we follow for season two by Jennifer Hale, who has 471 actor credits. I think yeah. her big role is she's the female Commander Shepard from Mass Effect. And in 2013, she was recognized by Guinness World Records as the most prolific video game voice actress. I mean, she is in everything. And you know, you said Ratchet and Clank, she plays the female um whatever wombat thing in the okay. newer one <laughs> no awards that we know of correct no i couldn't find anything yeah i didn't see anything all right let's do the episodes let's do them how did we pick them highest the lowest we use episode ratings.com so our first episode, the best episode of the series according to episode ratings, is Season 1, Episode 3, In the Realm of the Condor. Which had a rating of 7.8. Directed by Mike Milo. So this is... But tell me about your note here. Yeah, so when I Googled it, I get Mike Milo, and then when I dig a little deeper, I get a gentleman named Davis Doy. Um, but neither of these show up on really any casting site, so no IMDb... Um, they're not really showing up on the Wikipedia. And when you pull through the episodes, where we don't have a director credit. Um, so we can just skip director. I, I just wanted that noted, essentially. Uh, the first name that comes up usually on the episodes are supervising producer David Lippman. Got it. Written by Peter Lawrence. Yeah, this is an early episode. And we'll go into that later. The team searches for a missing man and stumbles across the lost city of El Dorado. It was, um, it was actually not a bad episode at all. No, it's, I mean, it was the best episode. So, I think they all kind of fit in that just mediocre area. There, there are episodes of the show that I remember much more fondly with much wilder plots and more creative writing. But this is straightforward, and 
it was one of the earlier episodes and it shows in the animation in particular it definitely does especially in the faces and the backgrounds yeah although there is one shot of uh of a woman falling to her death where it uh switches to her face and it looks like a really high quality anime face for a little bit where it's like everything's really moving just a little bit like you know when you one of those face close-ups like in akira yeah her eyes uh, just slowly bug out yeah it's uh, it's really something but overall yeah it's a good episode let's uh, what do we what do we got about it well the i mean we open with uh, a doctor an ornithologist being chased by a bunch of natives and my main note for all of that is they have this weird like clicking sound in the music there's a lot of background noise that i can't tell if it's sound effect or music uh because it's not really effective as either and it's you know what i think the original johnny quest is an incredibly loud cacophonous show and so maybe they're just trying to pay tribute to its its past maybe i mean something that is loud and a little confusing if we're talking tribute though that intro theme is smack on for it it's got that orchestra and it just sounds guy it's so exciting <laughs> yeah let's just start there um that uh that intro we we watched it i think almost every opportunity we got because it is a fantastic theme it's a fun you, you're flying through a wireframe kind of vector graphic looking valley with with scenes from the show on the sides and that's what i remember most about it is just that intro uh more than anything else, more than many of the particular episodes. I remember that intro very well because it commands your attention. It, I mean, it's a great... It's got the computer animation plus the, like, little snips of actual animation as we, like, go through the canyon with just the most exciting music. And you are correct. It, it's very memorable. I don't remember it as well, um, but I've enjoyed being able to listen to it and have probably played it on YouTube a few times when we're not watching the episodes. And so this episode's pretty straightforward. A woman comes to Dr. Quest saying her grandpa is missing and uh, presenting a relic that he found. He doesn't believe that the grandpa would still be alive, likely, and that he's not really an ornithologist or what is it? I forget what exactly he says. He's like, this is a little bit outside my realm of expertise. And she's like, but there could be gold. Yeah, and like, she presents and he's like, that. All right. Yeah, that idol or whatever and says, yeah. if you don't want to look for my grandfather, maybe you'll go look for this. You know, and he's like, idol. and he says, yeah, I'll go look for the gold. And they do that. She closes the door as she says it or whatever, and they have that weird bandit growl transition. Yeah. So out of place, it makes no sense for the rest of the episode. If looking for my grandfather is not important enough to you, Dr. Quest, then perhaps a brand new archaeological find is. You know, Bandit is uh, pretty out of the rest of this episode, and I appreciate that. Yeah, it was nice that he wasn't really in it because they did all that climbing and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I love Frank Welker, but uh, Bandit is, I think, a, a, the worst part of Johnny Quest to me. Well, especially the original. Yeah, it takes takes the air out of scenes. Uh, the, the funny jokes aren't funny. And they said in this series that they didn't want to make Bandit funny. In, and in this one, he's not. But in the, our next episode, he gets a, a lifetime supply of dog treats and... They just dump a big truck full of dog treat bags at him. And I'm yeah, like, that's they, not in that fan. What is it? Questfan.com that we no. have, and we'll probably reference a couple times now at this point. They do talk about like the character breakdown, and they say, you know, Bandit is a dog before anything else. He doesn't have human emotion. He doesn't do any of those things. Yet they still give him the weird comic relief that dogs don't actually do. 
Yeah. Um, we after that bandit transition, they like kind of talk about the idol, right? And then they decide to travel to South America, and they have that real cool computer animated travel. Yeah, thing. the travel HUD that I, at least in the two episodes we watched, it was very similar, font wise, cool looking. Actually shows you the place they're going, unlike the original Johnny Quest where they just mentioned that they were in Arabia or something. Yeah, and it and looks expect like a map you to know where that was. Yeah, they actually show you on a map where they're going and where they're coming from. My next, uh, right after that, I guess, is when Race first talks because I say (laughs) Robert Patrick does not fit Race Bannon. Well, that's a mixed blessing, Johnny. We can't continue overland and carry everything. We have to take to the river. Yeah, he's doing a bit of a, like, Arkansas. It is. Somewhere somewhere like Texarkana. It's, It's not exactly Cajun. It's not exactly Texan. But it's in that area. Yeah, and and he is hamming that draw up quite a bit. Yeah, I I think it's charming, but yeah, I don't I don't really like it for race Bannon. No. And then my other note in that same section is when we first noticed that Doctor Quest has no gray hair in season one. Yeah, and we thought we thought it was just this initial episode, but it seems to be the entire first season. Because it is weird. <laughs> because we haven't talked about the along with the cast change from season one to season two, the art style changes as well. So Dr. Quest changes from a fully black haired man to a red haired man with gray temples. And in the previous Johnny quests, he has gray yes. temple essentially. Yeah. Um, which I think is why it looks, they make him look too young. It's like he's dying it. Like, you know, he's, he's got to diet for the ladies or well, whatever he's got to do i mean his wife died it's time he got back out there and i mean and he doesn't want to any i like he's got an adult kid so it, it's not like he needs the gray to show how how old and wise he is he's he's got to take it down to get the dates <laughs> so uh we all set out and, and of course they bring this lady with them on their adventure yes this weird accented russian lady yeah, oh no, German, she's German, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. She's doing German, and it, apparently voiced by, which I don't know if I believe after hearing Jesse Douglas. They, they said it was Jesse Douglas. Uh, I mean, it's in the credits of the and show. It's in, it's in the credits, yeah. Uh, she's way better at that voice than her Jesse Bannon voice. Very, very much so. Yeah. Though there's that one moment where they, she like transitions out of the German accent to that one time she says Johnny and it's a British accent. That's weird. Uh, accents are difficult. So their local guides get scared off by finding what look like uh, kind of some totem pole looking things in the water, and they take off on a inflatable raft down a river on their own. We get a real funny sequence of them going down river, and then we see the front of the raft, and they're all just ah, all the open mouths, and everyone's and they're screaming. She's, and race saves the woman them screaming with a, over and over again. A grappling hook, yeah, a powered I mean, grappling hook like Batman, as you would uh, most whitewater rafting trips. Uh, are ended with the powered grappling hook, in my experience. <laughs> then they the, what they they come out and they do a climb. Well, they or... they camp they camp and Johnny saves uh, some young native boy from a giant snake. Oh, that's right, that's right. Then they're climbing and they get attacked by dozens of condors because it's South America. Incredible giant condors. It's a Johnny Quest trope. Yeah, yeah, because we watched the condor episode of uh, the original. Of the original. So they get attacked, and Johnny gets knocked off his line, but he lands on a ledge, and they lose track of him, and they continue to climb. The birds get called off by someone, and they continue to climb, and then they get into the city, and they see Johnny Quest 
being given some sort of reward for helping. It turns out the native boy was the leader's son. And then the girl they brought with her immediately starts <laughs> hammering gold. She just starts, she just jumps on a giant idol and just starts chipping away at the eye, like in full view of everyone. Oh my God. It's <laughs> and, so then, it, and then seems uh, like put off that, that everyone's mad at her now. I'm just here for the gold. I wrote down that. So this is basically El Dorado, you know, the movie El Dorado, um, with lesser animations, but we get Mark Hamill uh, and Frank Welker never leaves. Yeah, and Mark Hamill is credited in this, we confirm in the credits of the show, but he just plays, I guess, some... We, we couldn't find the line, uh, because he's just one of the people who lives in El Dorado. But he's a major credit on there, even at the yeah. end. They gave yeah. it to him. I think he has one line in the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, maybe some of it ended up on the cutting room floor, who knows, but... Uh, the longer we go into the uh, this episode, though, the more it is noticeable how bad the backgrounds are. How little yeah. effort and drawing there was in there. And so the the end of the episode is the lady kidnaps the leader's son, got a golden scythe, and she's carrying him away, and, and Johnny comes over and throws an idol at her to playing on her greed. She's trying to get away so she can loot the place. And causes her to fall off, and then she grabs on is hanging and she's hanging off him, and then she falls to her death and we get this awesome face shot that we went back for about three or four times. As she falls to her death, really intense for a a detail of something like that. Usually, you know, the person dies and you don't you don't see it. Yeah, we they don't just really, fall it, or whatever. And you, cartoons you know like we, we were watching the older Johnny Quest, and you were said, "Oh, it's funny." Like, like that guy's a hundred percent dead. They just say like he's dead now. Yeah, right. And then, but like now in shows in the eighties and nineties, like you couldn't really talk about even if you were doing things that would definitely cause people to die. You, you didn't kill him, but you just don't mention it. They're gone now. It was that that facial animation. It immediately then cuts to the, like the floor, the ground, and then it cuts back to Johnny Quest with sound in the background, like she just smacked into the ground. Yeah, yeah. That lady dies a hundred percent, and they uh, show it more than they do in a lot of cartoons. And and I uh, guess the best descriptor I think I have of her in this entire episode is uh, Michelle is just a budget. Elsa from um, The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones. Yeah, she really is, down to the German accent. And then uh, Johnny falls and gets saved by a condor. And then the uh, the leader of, the, of El Dorado takes his hat off and he says, oh, it turns out I'm her grandpa. Well, he's Professor Sheila, the missing doctor, but it turns out she wasn't his granddaughter at all. She was just some lady. Yep, that was the big reveal. He was his only child, um, which apparently he had in his late 70s or mid-70s was the boy Johnny saved. There's no menopause for men. And then the, he sends them away by the condors carrying them back to town and their ship. Yeah, very Lord of the Rings taken by a giant bird. Down and in true going. Johnny Quest fashion, the show literally just ends. Yep. Yeah, we assume they're all fine. Our second episode was season two, episode two, Rock of Rages. This episode was rated a 6.0. Same producer credit for this yeah and then written by lance falk who we uh, haven't talked about but lance falk is the showrunner for season two of real adventures of johnny quest yes uh he's got six writer credits overall uh, which is six episodes of swat cat but he's got 28 animation and 36 art credits 
he was around for a while. Uh, the synopsis for this is the quest team tries to stop a former KGB operative from creating a golem. And we get uh, Mark Hamill and Michael Bell in this episode. After picking two of 52 episodes, we ended up with two of the three Mark Hamill episodes somehow. Sheer luck. Yep. Because we do pick the episodes before we look into any of the information. Yes. Unless sometimes we do some light looking if we have to pick between three things. We might look oh, for yeah, something like that makes double more episodes or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or if there's just if there's just three lowest ones, we maybe pick the one that sounds the funniest. Or, or with Nightman, we avoided the Donald Trump one because I read about it. Mm-hmm. All right, I've got more uh, more notes on this one I think than the last one. I do too, because there's a lot more going on in this, and we get the quest episode, the yeah. quest world thing in this one, because we did not say, get that in the last one. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about quest world. Um, um, I said I still love this intro, and I yeah. still do. That's, the intro is just fantastic. Continues to be true. There's a pixel transition. <laughs> yeah. That you noticed. That's pretty great. So the episode... '90s animation comes through better on this episode because yes. it doesn't feel as cheap and as slow. Like those, that first one we watched was more late 80s this is mid 90s yeah this this animal this animation quality is very good very good because especially the backgrounds we can compare it to something like we did exo squad for the first episode from 1994 it's not far removed from it and it's light years better yes in this show there's uh like you can see that in this episode in particular there's a particular shot where they're flying into Prague, and you see the city it looks great and then it shifts and you see johnny and haji looking at the city through the the cockpit window and the city is reflected on it and it's moving and it looks great and the architecture actually kind of matches what would legitimately be in Prague. yeah and the the character animations are all good yeah it still has that light choppiness that normal yeah. 90s had but that i mean that's 90s at this point everything else is a lot more detailed um, we did watch a couple of the episodes that come later in season two, and the faces just get better and better and better. The first episode that we watched that has rougher animation was one of the earlier episodes before they fired the original showrunner and brought right. other people in to finish it. So we looked through some other episodes, and it first season also looks very good after those first couple episodes. Um, you want to talk about our our how we get into this episode, though? Yeah, there's a there's a guy doing archaeology and he gets uh surprised by someone who uh what does he do to him does he does he make the golem kill him no he kills him yeah he just kills him yeah but he couldn't use a gun that's what there's i was reading a thing about it that they had to the sensors made them change the method of death oh uh, interesting yeah but so he gets killed by a suspicious uh sinister looking russian man yes and i <laughs> i talk about i have this we have Russians archaeological dig in the Czech Republic. They're digging up ancient Egyptian stuff to activate an ancient golem, which is Jewish lore. Yeah. What? Uh, there's Wasn't a lot of mixed weird things going on. Yeah. Because the wand is basically like a little obelisk and the hieroglyphs look like little Egyptian characters. Yeah. I think they're all. I think the characters are kind of generic. I think they're just like old-looking things. You probably don't want to fill it full of Hebrew, I guess. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. And then it cut. Oh, they invite. We cut to. So they've been invited to Prague. That's right. They've been invited to Prague. They're just, you know, just typical, uh, typical famous rich person stuff. Someone just said, "Hey, come, come to Prague." And 
we'll send you on adventures. They meet the prime minister. Yeah. They go to the compound and they specifically have invited Dr. Quest to figure out how to unlock the golem, right? And they give yeah. him the wand and apparently nobody else could figure out that the wand twists. Yeah. He twists it into place and we get there's the character that is the Russian professor leading the uh, research into this who's in league with the sinister Russian. Right. And the accents are a little weird for uh, Czech Republic. Even the prime minister it doesn't exactly fit that. The prime minister sounds Russian. I think the other two guys are supposed to be Russian, so that's okay. Maybe in the in the booth she just started doing the same accent they did, and they are like, that's fine. Oh, they do have, but they, um, in the doctor. The professor. Yeah, the professor. He's got an actual Czech flag hanging behind him. Yeah. And then there's a section where they have, like, a map of that eastern part of Europe. And that actually looks correct as well. So I was really surprised by that. Yeah. I actually spent some time on things. The rest of this episode is pretty pretty straightforward. I mean, there's there's a B-plot where Ray Spannon recognizes the sinister Russian. Oh, yeah. And he calls his daughter on the computer. Uh, There's a whole helicopter thing. but That sneaks up on him. (laughs) But what happens? Well, because we'll get to that. Once they solve the puzzle, he says, well, let's go take a look at the the statue we found. And they go down there, and then they awaken the golem, and then the bad guy takes control of it. And the rest of the episode is just him trying to, I guess, return communism by killing the Czech leader, uh, which would somehow cause communism to come back. What do you hope to achieve, Vostok? My goal is simple. An orderly, socialist world. A world free of having to make decisions. A world much like I grew up in. Hmm. A world like I spent years fighting. <laughs> we all make mistakes, Mr. Bannon. Yeah, I don't think he thought it through uh, it's, very it's, well. It's definitely an underwear gnomes. It's, you know, steel underwear, step two, question mark. Step three, communism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know it's fine. So that's that's what happens, and you get you get all these action scenes. And as you said, tell me about the the sneaking up. So he's talking to his daughter or whatever, um, and all of a sudden, in the last few seconds, he races like, oh, he must have recognized me because this freaking helicopter flies up right next to the house he's sitting in, and race doesn't realize it until the absolute last second. Yeah, it must be a stealth helicopter for real. You know, like you would never feel it coming or anything. Um, yeah. I do have in this whole section uh, good music because yeah. from basically the start of the action where race starts, the action does not stop, and the music runs parallel to it the whole time. I enjoyed race band and kind of like backflipping into the open cockpit that he'd smashed open yeah. <laughs> and knocking the guy out and then flying off in the helicopter. Oh, it's such a weird thing because then later the guy wakes up and like tries to knife him. And then race ends up crashing, and it was just like this whole thing. But I mean, basically, right? The the golem they they sick the golem on them. They slowly get away. And the golem keeps chasing and chasing and chasing. And then they have a final like fight scene in the prime minister's office, yeah. Um, where apparently Johnny, you know, he gets the obelisk, the wand back, but he never tells the golem to do anything. So he's holding it, and the golem's still attacking him. And then he stabs or breaks it or whatever. It's like just the dumbest thing. Like just tell the golem to stop. Yeah. Like the kid didn't pay attention to anything that was happening in the entire episode. Well, as Race Bannon said in the first episode, Johnny could fall in a lake and not get wet. <laughs> whatever that means. He's like smitten with the prime minister in this episode. Oh, yeah. He's in love with her. She's a little old for you, kid. And so I've got a note here that uh, 
an ex-KGB officer invading an ex-Soviet nation. Unbelievable. <laughs> and our KGB officer is Mark Hamill. Yes. Doing a, and I have another note about that, that Jesse, when Race calls her to ask about who he might be, he says, I'm sure I've seen this Joker somewhere before. Jesse, I'm sure I've seen this Joker somewhere. Mark Hamill is the Joker. Oh, yeah, that's put, a great put, little... Put jo- a put, nice put, Easter put egg. Joker laugh here. Cut. I'm going to cut out me saying this and put Joker laugh here. <laughs> I have my only other big note for the action scene is that Haji is like sort of the straight comedy man. He just says things straight, but they're stupid. Yeah. Yeah, we noted that in, uh, it's not in this episode, but they're in the swamp. And they're like, how come the mosquitoes are avoiding you? And he says, well, proper diet and frame of mind is the key. And also this bug spray. It's, it's, if he likes his jokes, good for him. <laughs> I just don't like it when they do that sidekick type thing sometimes. Especially yeah. when, you know, it's the the um, ethnic person who ends up doing it. I, my, my recollection, and I don't know offhand how much this holds up, but my recollection is that Haji's a little bit more of a person in the first season in the initial ones before they change him back. I could see that though. Cause that first episode, he was not like that. Yeah. And, uh, there's an interesting fun fact on this one that we found from the quest fan website that, uh, there's one line from Dr. Quest that is voiced by Don Messick, who is the original Dr. Quest voice from 1964, who started working on the second season of this, uh, before he had a stroke, which prevented him from continuing, and they redid his lines with John Delancey, but they missed one in this episode. So there is an episode where he says, uh, "Not a moment too soon," and "Not a moment too soon." And it yeah, sounds it was cool. Actually, it's the old, that was it's the old Doctor Quest. It's pretty neat. It's kind of like a really fun Easter egg as well. Yeah, uh, and then it's all neatly wrapped up at the end where they're given medals. They're all giving kisses, and Bandit gets a lifetime supply of treats because a rich man needs a lifetime supply of treats for his dog. And they have to haul all that home now. Yeah, they do. A lifetime supply. Magic jet. It's funny watching Johnny Quest after having watched Venture Brothers. Oh, it's so funny after Venture Brothers. How ridiculous. Like, once you you investigate some of the things they take for granted, it becomes really quite bizarre. Um, And then we get a quest world. Oh yeah, great. So yes, this is our the first episode did not have Quest World in it. And this is one of the things that made this show uh expensive and interesting. So tell me about this Quest World. At the end of the episodes, or sometimes at the beginning, they would do where the one of the kids would go into a computer generated world that they call Quest World. Cyberspace, one one might call it. The metaverse even. Wow. <laughs> Actually, I would rather go here to Quest World than the Metaverse. Yeah. But the animation is terrible. Yeah, this this was not ready for primetime. And I'm sure some of it is from mul- the multiple companies that they had working on it. It was very early mocap work. So they were probably pushing too hard, too fast. Yeah, probably. Because there were definitely bugs in the software, too, where some things would look like um, cyberpunk. Yeah. <laughs> Looking through some of the various episodes, we, we looked for more Quest World stuff, and we saw some things that looked fine. Because uh, you see, like, that there's a big cityscape that someone's flying through on a motorbike. The guy on the motorbike doesn't look great, but the cityscape looks good. But then other times, they're just 
uh, making bad choices about like these shattered glass. There's a guy in a mirror. Oh yeah. Wall and it's and the uh, scaling is bad on him. The scaling is bad on him. His uh, like his like face is jumping around. The hair doesn't look good. And so you brought up reboot, and I went. We went back to look, and I very strongly disagree with you that even though reboot is two years older than this, the decisions that they have made in reboot help it, but the quality is just simply better. And it's probably because they didn't have to deal with motion capture and all that, and uh, also whatever other strange things they were doing. They had the time to build these characters properly in a pipeline, whereas I think we see Dr. Jeremiah Surd five or six times in the series, and so they never get to like spend all this time making him look real good because you're only going to use it yeah, for about I, th- three minutes of footage. I only partially disagree with you now after we yeah. looked at everything. But uh, I this actually is a good transition. Just go right into the production stuff because I feel like we're kind of being a little long-winded today. This show while being developed got stuck in a kind of a development hell in 1995 and the initial showrunner is pete lawrence yeah peter lawrence yes and the art director takashi ended up getting taken off the series pretty early after the first couple episodes and uh john ang and cosmo anzalotti were brought in to finish the first 26 episodes and so as they did that there was apparently a whole separate project so despite all the incredible amounts of money and development that they were pouring into this show they were also at the same time developing a different johnny quest property that they were going to call the new johnny quest and this was the show that was being run by lance falk and when turner was bought by time warner i guess time warner said what on earth are you doing making two (laughs) johnny quests at the same time uh so they just made the new johnny quest season two of the real adventures of johnny quest which gets a little weird they did it early enough that they were still able to put Jesse Bannon in it, but she's in it a lot less. And a lot of times she's in just the quest world sequence or talking to race Bannon on the TV. She's not, I can't say for sure because we didn't watch all the episodes, but it seems like she was kind of slid in where it fit more than written around as yeah. they did in the first season. But so Lance Falk's goal was to make something that was a lot more true to the original Johnny Quest, which is why Dr. Quest has goes back to the old hair. We get better voice actors for race. Yeah. Haji gets a jewel in his turban again. Not in the episode we watched, but all the other ones in season two, he has a jewel in his turban. Which made it weird watching the show, because you'd watch it, and you're basically rolling the dice on how the characters looked. Even the same characters, Johnny Quest and Jesse, who are pretty similar and don't have any major changes like to their design are still treated differently they are so it was a very strange i don't know why you would make an incredibly expensive series and then make a second series about the same character yeah like doing two reboots simultaneously to be fair it made it more enjoyable for us to progress through it and talk about it that's true it's interesting and it's so the second season i think it's when they were told that they were going to be real adventures of johnny quest instead of their own thing that's when they had to start trying to figure out how to get quest world in there they do bring back some of the original villains created for real adventures of johnny quest like i think ezekiel rage shows up in season two and jeremiah surd the quest world villain definitely does which by the way we haven't mentioned that jeremiah surd is essentially evil stephen hawking yeah <laughs> he is a man confined to a wheelchair who can no longer move and they let him into quest world and he escapes what if stephen hawking was the lawnmower man yeah, that's a good comparison. 
but the show looks great the animation is it. very good and the music is good and like the all the production values except for these 3d scenes are laughable now they are uh, they're I, I i love watching them because they're not good but they're funny and but it's it's amazing that you would make this like really well traditionally and anim- incredible traditional animation for the time and then to just pair it with this mortal Kombat annihilation level of bad cgi <laughs> really strange but it was definitely a big part of their marketing was that that 3d graphic is because they did a survey that said that even children as young as four or five had a nearly 100 percent familiarity with the term virtual reality they did like screen testing to see what what do kids know about like what do you know what a cowboy is and it's like it was more likely a kid knew about virtual reality than almost anything else hmm. so that's maybe why they went with that roundup yeah let's round up <laughs> where's it streaming uh only for purchase google amazon apple bummer yeah kind of a bummer but i mean i think you can buy the first season for like 12 bucks or something like that on amazon that's not bad standard definition because you know it's in 480 but yeah it's... don't expect a hd release yeah we didn't talk about the later releases but it seems like it only ever got the one dvd release so we're kind of stuck at that it, like who knows it, maybe something will show up later but as far as we know now the only thing that is out there is those dvds and then the streaming things that you buy are those dvd rips yep it's not like we can get it all off a laser disc and that yep. wouldn't be any better anyway no hd do they have the laser disc yeah they did two laser discs toys the galoob did the action figures and we do actually still have some micro machines as well which is it pretty pretty great weird this is when i think this is when micro machines started to lose its way oh 100 percent in the late the, i mean the mid to late 90s they definitely started to lose their way because they were doing all kinds of stuff you know, my favorite part of Micro Machines was never the the giant people who couldn't fit into Micro Machines, uh, the, <laughs> the, the little figures that came with them. Although, ooh, I'd love that tiny Ezekiel Rage I see there in the corner. That would be cool. Ezekiel Rage, what a cool he's, villain. The, Ezekiel Rage is my other the other villain I recall from this that we just say. He's, a, he's some sort of intelligence agency who is betrayed by his agency and his family dies as a result. And he gets disfigured and he becomes this insane preacher who has his own book uh his own religious book of his views and he wears a the big black hat and a black black cape and has a fan of the opera type mask that when he takes off his face is all is all batted up man he's just it's real fun and he's just and he's just preaching about destruction and using biblical language to yeah to talk about what he's going to do to everyone Um, very fun back, back to the toys we do have a couple collections that released Gloob did a like a Johnny Quest real world collection, retailed for like ten bucks, I think is what it was. But they were just basic miscellaneous characters from the series where they were like in action. So you would get like paraglider or like harpoon or skis. That's kind of what those were. There were a couple of vehicles where you would get, you know, like a motorbike or something like that. I think one of the coolest ones was that if you look through the list that's on there is like the Dino Tracker set. Johnny Quest is kind of looks like Indiana Jones and bandits being attacked by a thing, but that bandit figure looks really cool. Uh, there was also a Quest World collection where they're like cybery, and they're a little out there to be honest with you. Oh man, did you see the alien? I didn't see the alien. No, uh, Mister Vice President Alien. It's uh, you take you take the man's torso off, and there's an alien inside of him. 
That's like, awesome. Like a kid in a trench coat type thing. That's awesome. T- but but to buy that, it's unreleased. Oh, oh, okay. There was, I mean, there's that huge section that you sent me from the Quest fan where it has just a bunch of like unreleased stuff. And it even has a, a section of like Burger King toys that were drawn up, but I guess not released. Yeah. And I think that's really cool that all of that stuff is in there. So that we could almost got Burger King toys Man. for Johnny Quest, the real adventures of Johnny Quest. These toys are really like, you know, when they make toys and it's like, did you even watch the thing? That is exactly what these for? are. Because uh, there's a there's a Silent Storm Jesse and she's dressed up like a He-Man character in this red armor with a big knife. And then we get like extreme action Johnny Quest who's got a flame shirt and lightning pants on a skateboard. There's the the biathlete Jesse and Wild Blaze Race. Like those two things go together, and they come with a bear. <laughs> yeah, these no, these toys were exactly. They oh, were like, we so are doing bad. Johnny Quest. We just want oh. you to mock up some stuff, and we're gonna release it because we want to make money. That's it. And they've, they've got evil Ezekiel Rage villain who's wearing a. He looks like he's wearing his skeleton pajamas. I kind of wish I could get my hands on one of these toys, though. Oh. I would put this on my bookshelf. For yeah, sure. I mean, oh, they're really funny. Uh, in their badness. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah um, very fun very fun it's it reminds me of like you know and i think i've mentioned this batman thing before but i got like a, a batman who just had a giant thing that you put over his head that fired discs out of it and i said what does this have to do with batman <laughs> um do we have any additional fun facts for this one i know we you had a couple things that you wanted to talk about previously yeah, was, what i have on here um as part of the marketing for this it was such a heavily marketed tv show one of the things about it is it maybe made the first digital style guide for marketing. It had a uh, detailed instructions on fonts, uh, the kind of images you were supposed to be using for your web marketing of this television show. And if, when this stuff was going out, it was probably ninety five, hmm. maybe even ninety four, because they this show took a while to come out. But we're definitely talking about ninety five, ninety six, which there's not that much time before that that people could have been thinking about this stuff. Yeah, and Lance Falk, the showrunner for the second season, was a, seems to have been very involved with the fandom. I don't know whether through Usenet or something, but the QuestFan.com website that I was looking through—I'm going to keep looking through it because it's full of incredible stuff. Yeah, you guys should check that out. QuestFan.com. Tons of behind-the-scenes information uh, from Lance Falk specifically. Do you have any new feelings on this show? I think I appreciate it more. I didn't realize that the animation looked as good as it did. There's a lot of shows like I wanted to show you that episode of Johnny quest, the original, uh, because it's easy to remember these things as jokes. The original Johnny quest looks real good. It does. They did a good job. And it's easy to just remember it as like another cartoon that they just kind of like whacked out and did for cheap. But the original Johnny quest looks great. And I've gone back to watch speed racer and that looks great. There's a lot of animation things that you don't really appreciate. Uh, your memory doesn't do it service, and it this is one not. that my memory did not do it service. It looks really good. Yeah, it just progressed. It got better. And the and I mean revisiting the CG, uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't expect it to look as bad as it does. I'm pretty much right there with you. I do appreciate it more. I love that intro. Like I yeah, ha- I'm gonna bookmark it just to listen to it once in a while because it's just so action packed. It feels so good. It's like the perfect homage to. Um, the original Johnny Quest. Yeah, that original Johnny Quest theme is a real banger, and this is a very solid update to it. I'm happy. I'm All glad right. we got to cover this. Yes, yeah, it's fun. I didn't realize that it was uh, as interesting as it would be. Uh, Go out and watch as... it. 
I recommend yeah. The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest. The one that was rated the worst episode is great. If that's one of the worst episodes of the series, then it's pretty good. Pretty good show. It is. I, I think they're probably closer than the ratings go, though, because, you know, a, a, a 6.0 and an, uh, an 8, they don't feel that far apart. And that's probably that's a personal taste. There's probably some wacko out there who loves the Quest World episodes. Oh, yeah. And awesome. I bet those are the ones that hold up the, the the worst. There's like, I I know I saw a picture of Cyber Race Bannon fighting Cyber Jeremiah Surd, and I was like, I can't imagine how bad that looks. <laughs> well, you know, talking about ratings, what would you rate this in our system? I'm giving this a solid 12 and a half. 12 and a half, huh? This is a good cartoon. I think I'm giving it a, what did I rate ExoSquad? A 10. And Gargoyles, I gave a 13.5. I'm going to give it exactly what you gave it, a 12.5. Okay. And then... They don't make them like this, and it's because it costs a lot of money to make things the way they made this. Yeah, for sure. Is it nastier than Wolf Bronski? Uh, Ain't nothing nastier than Wolf Bronski. I believe it. Uh, the... The quest world sections are. <laughs> is this a yes and no? Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> we, we, you saw that one where it was a Mission Impossible. Oh, reference. the Mission Impossible, and then, is... and then Cyber Homunculus Johnny Quest was hanging over the lasers, and then he and then he just kind of like flipped in place to sit down. He was like the... levitating with his yeah. giant ass. He just pivoted. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's. And then there's the one where we talked about on the scooter where the the girl's arms just keep flaring out all over the place. Yeah, it's her. I, I watched her arm, her elbow bend one way and then go and bend the wrong way. <laughs> like they, it's 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 really something and bad in a very interesting way. For sure, like the all the the quest world stuff doesn't work, uh, but it's super fascinating. So I I it's nastier, but it's not bad. Yeah, it's not it's not going to be unpleasant for you to watch. It will be fun. All right, well, next episode, we have something really, really exciting. At least we're really excited about it. Oh, yeah, right. Um, we're going to have our first guest. Yeah. And we're going to have a huge nerd, hopefully he's not offended by that, uh, on the show. And we are going to talk about Star Trek Voyager. And uh, remember, send us an email at 90schmaltz at gmail.com. That's 90-S-C-H-M-A-L-T-Z at gmail.com. Or visit us at www.90schmaltz.cool um, and you can find us you know wherever you get your podcast these days I'm a big fan of the way Spotify puts that stuff out yeah I'm I'm tiring of Spotify for different reasons fair enough I'll see you next time thanks uh, bye yeah bye welcome to quest world please specify desired data the Virtua Speeder is designed for single usage over uneven terrain. It is vital to keep arms and legs well within the safety zone of the vehicle. The Virtua Speeder allows for optimal handling through the most difficult sectors of Quest World. Wearing a cyber helmet is not just a good idea, it's the law. Thank you for accessing Quest World.